Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Hi, baby. You guys go ahead and finish up your conversations and find your seats. Awesome. Who's excited to be in church this morning? Yeah. Who loves coming to church, especially when it's like negative 20 outside? Yeah. Awesome. Um, we're, we're, all, we're all my dudes that, that worked on uh, uh, 307 Oak yesterday. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, raise your hands. Awesome. Yeah. Is Marjan here? I don't want to leave out Marjan. Is she here? Okay. Marjan was the lone woman holding up the fort yesterday. So everybody give Marjan a hand. Yeah. Yeah. The, re- the reason why I bring that up is because, uh, like some of you, I'm a little bit sore this morning, probably. So if you see me do some sort of like weird contortion, it's probably because I'm cramping, not because I'm crazy. So just as a warning. Well, I'm a little crazy too, but that's fine. We don't have to tell them that, Chris. Um, but uh, in this uh, uh, series, we're talking about how the Lord speak to us, what it means for God to speak to us, what it looks like. This is the, the third week in our series, and there's one more to follow. Uh, but Heidi and uh, Rochelle did an amazing job the first two weeks. If you weren't here, I would really encourage you to go onto our podcast and listen to those messages. Um, if you were here, I would also encourage you to go on the podcast and listen to those messages, because I promise you listening to them a second time will have some benefit for you. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to get started because we have a lot of things to get through. So, God, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. All praise to you, the only wise king. Jesus, your name is power. It is breath and living water. God, would you breathe on our hearts this morning? Would you speak to us? And God, you are the miracle worker. You have made a way for us to have relationship with you. God, when our hearts were broken and our relationship was separated from you, God, you made a way and you reconciled us to yourself. We are so thankful. God, may we walk in that new relationship that we have with you. May we not walk in the facade that we are separated from you, but may we draw near because you invite us to draw near to you. So I pray that you would speak to all of us this morning and that my words would accomplish the purpose that you have set them for. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So even though this is the third week of the series, I think the best place to start is by continuing to lay some foundation. And I think that for a couple reasons. One is because I really want you to know where I'm coming from. Because there's, there may be some of you out there where whenever we bring up or somebody brings up the topic about God speaking, especially God speaking to individuals, some red flags or some skepticism may start to build. Uh, and so I want to try and take that down a little bit, because if that's the case, you may miss out on something that I think is really essential for your faith and your walk with Jesus. 
Uh, and, I, and I know that there have uh, been uh, some other foundational teachings the past two weeks, but the other reason why I want to do that is because if you don't have a solid and a clear foundation, anything you build on top of it will crumble. And so I think it's important that we start there. So let's start with something easy. God has spoken in the past. Everybody want to agree on that? Right, for, for those of you that may not know what I'm talking about, this is what I'm talking about. God has spoken in the past. This is called the word of God for a reason. It's because as Christians, we believe in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. See, all scripture is breathed out by God himself. It is spoken for everyone to listen. Every word in these pages was spoken by God for your benefit. That should make your spine tingle a little bit when you really think about it. See, that's a loaded passage that I think oftentimes we don't adequately comprehend the, the weight of. Every single word written in these pages was spoken by the creator of the universe for your benefit. Every word. Every word. So God has spoken in the past. Can we agree on that, church? Okay. The thing that where a lot of people get hung up on is that God speaks now. That God still speaks. Now, let me be very clear God is not writing more Bible. He is not speaking new revelation for the global church to follow as immutable truth that's on par with the word of God. But let me be also very clear that denying that God still speaks through his word with immense power and authority and that his voice is very active, dare I say constant, denying that is a very dangerous place to be spiritually. And let me, let me kind of explain that and show you why. Hebrews 4.12 says, and this has already been used in this series, but Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God, the words that God has spoken are living and active. They are sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active. Now, I was never a star at grammar, but as far as I can tell, those are current present tense words, right? The word of God is living now. It is active now. It is at work now. You see, it's difficult to be pierced by something, to be open and exposed by something that was spoken 2,000 years ago if those same things are not being spoken right now. See, God has spoken in the past. Now, we've already established that God has spoken in the past, and so if that's the case, then accepting 2 Timothy 3, that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and denying that Hebrews 4 is the case, that, that, that doesn't work. So if all Scripture is breathed out by God, then you have to believe that, and you also have to believe that God also still speaks, as Hebrews 4 says. As Hebrews 4 says. So you cannot at the same time believe that the scripture is spoken by God, but also deny the power of his voice that still speaks, as it says in Hebrews 4. Now again, God is not speaking new truths. He never will. 
He is unchanging and every bit as holy and righteous now as he was then. He doesn't need new truth to explain him because he is already fully true. And anyone who claims to have received a new revelation or a new truth that either changes or adds to what is already in Scripture is at best deceived and most likely a false teacher, plain and simple. Anyone who claims to have received a new truth or a new revelation that adds to or changes what is in Scripture is likely a false teacher. Now let me issue a quick word of caution. If when I said that a certain name came to your mind of someone who you think is a false teacher, I'm not saying that they're not, whoever you're thinking of. But we need to be careful not to demonize someone or call someone a heretic because they have a different interpretation over a certain passage of scripture than we do. Now, I am not saying that all interpretations of the Bible are legitimate. Absolutely not. There are some very aberrant and dangerous theologies out there that are twisted by the very devil himself. But we really need to consider operating with a decent dose of grace and humility in this area because if you want my opinion, this is not in the Bible. This is me standing over here, okay? My opinion. It may be a little bit of a humbling experience if the person that you call a heretic ends up standing next to you in heaven worshiping Jesus. Just saying. And like... God has a sense of humor, so I'm serious. This is probably how God's sense of humor works. Like, the person that you call a heretic, like, as soon as you call that person a heretic, God's up in heaven like, yep, you just bought yourself a spot next to him in heaven. (laughs) Yeah. I promise you. Gabriel, come here. You know those, the the reservations that we had? Go ahead and switch those names around, because this is going to be hilarious. Yeah. That, that, That was probably a little irreverent, but... I need to focus. (laughs) So in my opinion, it's probably better to humble yourself now and have grace now than to be humbled later. Okay? So So God is not speaking new truths, but God does still speak today in the year 2020. I had to think about that because my brain still says 2019. Now, I know that some people may come from many different Christian backgrounds and have different emphases on on uh, biblical passages or teachings, but for example, in, in my spiritual upbringing, I would have said absolutely that God has spoken in the past. And I had a very robust and healthy, healthy theology around 2 Timothy 3. But I was frankly very lacking in my understanding and my application of Hebrews 4, that God still speaks, that his voice is still active. And so as Hebrews 4 tells us, if God is still speaking, then what is he saying? If God's still speaking, then, then how is he saying it and who is he saying it to? So that's kind of where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. Let's get one of the easy ones out of the way first. This was mentioned in some of the previous weeks. But God speaks to all of his children. Who is God speaking to? He's speaking to his children. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior this morning, he speaks to you. You may not hear him, but I promise you he speaks to you like a father speaks to their child. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later, but for right now, just know that if you believe in Jesus this morning, God is speaking to you. The most common way that God speaks is through what he has already said, through the words that he has already spoken. I would argue that it is impossible to hear the voice of God in other areas of your life if he's not also speaking to you in Scripture. 
Because you can't hear the voice of God if you don't know the character of God. You can't hear the voice of God if you don't know the tendencies of God. You can't hear the voice of God if you don't know what he has already said. So God speaks through what he has already said. So if you want to train your ear to hear him more, you have to start here. You have to. Starting in any other place will likely lead you down a path that will be deceptive. You must start with the rock-solid word of God. Knowing this, hearing from God in this will be the most important and impactful catalyst in your life for hearing from God in other areas of your life. So you need to be in the word. Hearing the voice of God in any area of your life revolves around his word all the time. So you have to understand what he says about himself, what he says about you, what he says about other people. See, God will not speak something that's contrary to Scripture. If it's contrary to Scripture, it was not from God. It's that simple. might not be easy to discern sometimes. But if it's contrary to Scripture, it was not from God. So how does God speak through his word? Most simply, any time that you read something in the Bible and it jumps out at you, that's most likely the Holy Spirit trying to say something. Now, I qualify that with most likely because if I'm reading the Bible through the lens of my flesh, if I'm reading the Bible through my own thoughts and desires, then I will likely interpret it through my own thoughts and desires. Now, let me give you an example. This is a little bit uh, uh, hyperbolic, a little bit of a hyperbole, however you want to say it, but it serves my purpose, so bear with me. So say I'm reading the Old Testament And I come across one of the passages, one of the many passages, where God commands the Israelites to to kill or destroy another people group because they're worshiping idols. And through their idol worship, they're also causing the Israelites to turn away. And so God says, you need to kill them. They need to be eliminated. And, And that verse jumps out to me. And my first thought is, God must be telling me that I need to kill every person in my life that's a bad influence. Right? Yeah. It's hilarious because that, there's, that was not God. I can promise you that. And if you feel like you're hearing God say that, you come talk to me. We can work that out. Right, so it, 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 that's an extreme example, but it serves my purpose. See, God probably was trying to speak to you in that moment. What he, what he was probably trying to say was God is serious about sin, and you cannot allow anything in your life to pervert your pursuit of him. So that's, that's why I qualify that. So just because a passage jumps out at you does not mean that your first thought is God's divine voice in your head. You have to pay attention. You have to discern. You have to think about it. So what, what, I, what I want you to do, though, is from now until the rest of your life, I, I promise you, yeah, which may be today. Who knows? But jeepers. I didn't know where that came from. From now until the day that you die, every time you open the Bible and it feels like something is popping out at you, pause. And just simply ask, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to convict me? How are you trying to encourage me? What do you want me to see about your nature? And then read it again. And pause again and ask him again and read it again. And pause again and ask him again. And read it again. I promise you, if you do that, 
that will be the single most impactful thing in your life for hearing God's voice. I promise you. God will speak through what he has already spoken. The second most common way that God speaks is through prayer. Now, the practice and discipline of prayer uh, will likely be an entire series in itself. I, I can't remember if we'd ha we've had one or not. Heather's not here to confirm it for me. But basically, the, the practice and discipline of, of prayer is telling God how good he is, telling him how thankful you are for everything that he's done for you and given you. It's also bringing your request to God, bringing him your, your worries and, and your cares and your desires and all your anxiety. But for the, for the purpose of this message, it also means sitting in his presence in silence with your ears open and your heart ready for him to speak back to you. Just resting in his presence. And this is frankly something I'm really quite poor at and I'm, I'm working hard to get better at it. But if you've been saturating yourself in his word, Oftentimes when he speaks to you in prayer, he's probably pointing you back to something that you've already read, bringing you some clarity or, or, or just illuminating something in, in a passage that you didn't see before. Or maybe he'll say something to you and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. But then like two days later, you end up reading something in the Bible like, oh, that's what that was for. Now I understand. Again, everything comes back to this. The words breathed out by God himself. There are other ways that God can speak as well. God can speak through dreams. I believe that he can speak through visions. I believe that he can speak through other people. Sometimes it's random people. Sometimes it's people that you know. I've definitely had this happen to me before where I, I, it was a time where I was you know, reading something in the scripture. I don't quite remember what it was. And I, I knew that God was trying to speak to me through it. And I was wrestling through it and, and kind of going through the process that I talked about before. I just wasn't getting clarity. I'm like, okay, I'll just let that sit for a bit. And then later on in the day, I heard a ra overheard a random conversation, a conversation I wasn't even a part of. And it was not necessarily about God. And all of a sudden, something was said in that conversation, and it just, it just clicked. It just dropped in my head. That's God speaking. That person doesn't know it. But God just spoke through them to me because I was already in his word. Sometimes God's voice comes through other people that you know, or sometimes it's someone that you don't know. But maybe someone else has been putting in the work of saturating themselves in the word. Saturating themselves in his presence by hearing from him in prayer. And listening to him in communion with him. And from their relationship with God, from their closeness to him, they hear him speak. And maybe it's not just something for them. Maybe they feel like it's something for you. And so God will use that person to speak something to you. You may hear the phrase, Pastor Ron, God gave me a word for you. And yes, that phrase can be abused and misused, just like anything else. But when it's legitimate, what's been happening is that that person has been meeting with God. They've been meeting with him in scripture. They've been seeking his presence and seeking his face. They've been praying and, and through their closeness with the Father, God speaks to them. They obey. And through that, God speaks to you. Now, kind of as an, as an overarching thing, when, when I say that God speaks, it could be audible. 99.9% of the time, it's probably not. But I do think that it can happen. But when you've been meeting with your father, you don't have to hear an audible voice for you to know what he's saying.
think back to when you were a kid, when your parents like gave you that look, they didn't have to say anything for you to know what they were saying. Parents, when, when, you, when you see your child kind of going through that process of, do I want to steal the cookie off the counter or don't I? The, the child doesn't have to, to speak his thoughts for you to know what he's saying, right? So if, you're, if you've been close with the father, he doesn't have to speak to you audibly for you to know what he's saying. So there are many ways that God can speak, but everything, but they all have one thing in common. They are all rooted in Scripture. If it's not rooted in Scripture, it's not from God. That's why, again, this is the most important thing when it comes to you hearing the voice of God in your life. Immersing yourself in his word. Saturating yourself in his presence so that you can hear his voice in any situation and from any person and know whether it's from God or not. Now, you might not know immediately. It may take some digging in Scripture or some other form of confirmation. Heidi gave some examples of that in week one. But the more that you walk with him, the clearer that his voice will be. You just need to be listening to the voice of your father. Every time you open the Bible and something impacts your heart, that's God speaking. Every time you're listening to a worship song and something moves your heart even an inch toward the goodness of God, that's God speaking. Learn to recognize it. And don't downplay what it is. This, is. this is something that I've done for the majority of my Christian life. Don't downplay God's voice in your life. Don't, don't reduce God's voice to just emotions or simply recognizing something new. Because that's not the case. God spoke to you. The fact that you can understand something about an eternal God is a miracle in itself and should... And should Let me say it this way. If you think that you're so smart and enlightened that you can realize something about an eternal God under your own power, that's a prideful place to be. So learn to recognize God's voice. He still speaks. And if you're a Christian this morning, he speaks to you. Don't miss it. And don't pass it off as something less than a father wanting to speak to his child. Parents, how many of you want to speak to your children? Let me qualify that. When your children are listening... How much do you desire to want to speak to them, right? Why would we treat our Heavenly Father any different? Why would our Heavenly Father not want to speak to his children? He wants a relationship with you just like you want a relationship with your child. That requires some communication. One way that God has uh, always spoken to me and that I experience his presence is through worship. I've always been drawn to music and impacted heavily by it. I, I remember even when I was young, um, when I was sick, one of the things that I would do would be to turn on worship music. And most of the time, I remember that I would physically feel better when I would listen to worship music. I've always been heavily impacted by it. But through either the melody or especially the lyrics, truths about who God is or truths about me or what he has done for me just leap out of the song and bury themselves deep in my soul. And my heart is moved in a way that's undeniable. That's God speaking. And much more recently, I've also realized that at times, God speaks to me about other people through worship. 
And this is something that I, I would call intercessory worship. I, I, you can Google that. I don't know if it's a real thing or not. I'm just kind of trying to describe what I experience. But let me kind of explain it a little bit. I could be worshiping with, with everything that I have and just experiencing God in an amazing way. And suddenly a name or, or a face of someone that I know will pop into my head. And oftentimes it's someone who's going through something difficult or uh, has something that they're wrestling with. And so the, the previous truths that I was just worshiping God for, I start worshiping in that, per- in that person's place for those same things. Basically worshiping God for who he is and declaring his goodness for someone who might not be able to see through the weeds right now. The best analogy I have for it is, is uh, Aaron and her holding up Moses' arms when he couldn't hold them up under his own strength. That's really what intercession is. Intercession in, in, in any walk of the Christian life is just standing in place of someone. And so in those moments, what happens is I feel like God is telling me, hey, I, this, person, this person needs to, to understand this about my character. But this person needs to be encouraged in, in this way, or this person needs to see this about my nature. And so I want you to worship me for that in their place. Because God is worthy of our worship, amen? So I want you to worship me for that in their place. And so in my head, I think, man, they may not feel like telling God how good he is right now, but I'm going to praise God for his goodness for them. They may not see the faithfulness of God in the season, but I know that he is so faithful. So I will praise God for his faithfulness for them. They may not feel that he is a God of peace, but I know that he is a God of peace, and so I will praise him for his peace for them. And so in those moments, at the same time that I'm worshiping him for those characteristics of who he is, I'm also pleading, God, you are so good. Would you show them your goodness? God, as I'm worshiping you for your faithfulness, would you show them you're faithful? And every time when that has happened, I get completely wrecked with the character of God. Every single time I weep. I absolutely lose it. And I experience the truths that I'm singing about in a way that was more real and even more impactful than when I was just singing for myself. Now, I can't say that it also impacts the other person that, I've, that I'm worshiping for. I've never really asked anybody. Um, it, it's happened for some of you here in this room. Um, but have you ever had that feeling that you get when you just know God is using you? That, that's, that's how I feel. And so when, when I feel like God is leading me in that direction, I just obey and I trust that it's serving his purpose. And frankly, if the only purpose that it serves is to illuminate my eyes more to the goodness of who he is, then his purpose is being accomplished. So God speaks it in many different ways. Um, another way that God has also spoken to me is through intercessory prayer. Uh, and again, intercession is just praying on someone else's behalf. And kind of a, as an example and as a testimony to how God speaks through intercession, I want uh, Katie to come up and, and give a testimony uh, about her little brother. So everybody, welcome Katie. Hey, guys. Um, so I grew, I am still currently the oldest of five children. Um, my two youngest siblings have a genetic disease called cystic fibrosis. And since this is church and not science class, um, I'll simply explain it. Um, (laughs) With you up here, yes. Um, Simply put, salt doesn't pass through their cells. And so their body is full of thick, sticky mucus, um, primarily their lungs and digestive systems. And so um, my little brother 
has struggled to breathe his entire life. He was born not breathing. Um, and from an early age, he was constantly battling bacteria in his lungs because his lungs are full of mucus that just thrive in, um, the bacteria thrives in his lungs. And so his, we've, I say we because my dad has made it a family thing. We'll bat, his physical body battles cystic fibrosis, but as a family, we battle it together. And so um, the hospital has become our second home until recently. Um, and three years ago, my brother and sister both contracted a microbacterium that was resistant to drugs. Um, my sister has done a better job battling it. Um, but Will really struggled. And he got to the point where this time last year, um, he couldn't walk without oxygen. And he was no longer sleeping in his room upstairs um, unless my dad or Thomas or someone would carry him up because going upstairs was too much for him. And so early February last year, um, we decided as a family that we were going to pursue lung transplant. And so we went to St. Louis. Um, he had went through a week of testing. At, on the fir at first glance, they were going to deny him a lung transplant because he was too high risk. Um, the bacteria that he had when taking the lungs out, there was too much of a risk of that getting into the rest of his body. Um, that they didn't think they would, they didn't think that he would make it through surgery. Um, so a couple weeks later, they call us back and they say that, that they're, they're willing to take the risk on him. And so April 26th or 25th, something like that, um, I preached here at church and then I left with my dad and brother to move them to St. Louis for the summer where they would be living through the transplant process. Um, when we first got there, we thought he would be listed right away, and his bacteria levels were too high, um, so they told us that they were going to hold off for a while. And they, St. Louis has one of the best um, transplant facilities in the nation. They have the highest um, rates of acceptance of the body, accepting the organs. And so the few patients before him only waited 36 hours and 18 hours for lungs. And so as soon as he was listed, we were like, okay, we're ready to go. And that wasn't the case for us. Um, he was listed in May, and I was sitting in a teaching team meeting on June 6th, and I don't know if I verbally said this, but we were all kind of feeling hopeless. Um, and unless you actually experience it for yourself, it's a constant state of anxiety, like, when am I gonna get this call? Thomas and I weren't making plans most of my family wasn't making plans because we'd have to cancel them in a second notice if we got a call. And so um, at the end of the meeting, we were all praying for each other. And Isaac prayed for Will. Um, and that healing would come to his body, whether it was through new lungs or not. And that the lungs would fit perfectly in his chest because he's a smaller build kid. And um, so... The next day, I was actually admitting my sister to the hospital, and we got the call on June 7th that there were lungs waiting for him. Um, and then, so Thomas and I left. We left with my sister. She busted out of the hospital. <laughs> and we headed to St. Louis, and on June 8th, he received his new lungs. Um, 
And that prayer for them to fit perfectly inside his body, the transplant's a crazy process. I don't, I'm still processing it almost nine months later. But the surgeon came out and he was like, we may have to leave his chest open for 48 hours if the lungs don't fit inside him. Um, which is really scary because the whole thing is scary to begin with. But to imagine his, like, his body being open for 48 hours and then none of us would be able to come in contact with him was pretty frightening. Um, so fi after a 15-hour surgery, he came out and he said the lungs fit perfectly inside of his chest. And they were the most beautiful lungs he had ever seen. Um, and then two months later, we heard from the donor family. And, and the timeline of things on their end, they had a son who had a brain aneurysm. And on June 3rd, um, multiple tests were run, ran over the next course of the few days. But um, on June 6th, the time that we were probably praying was the time that the family decided that their son's lungs would become my brother's lungs. Thanks, Katie. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, get, give God some praise for that. Amen. See, while, while we were all sharing what, what we needed prayer for in that meeting, um, my wife and I are, are, are friends with the Simberskis. We were not, you know, uh, foreign to the idea that, that Will had issues. And like she said, he had been going through this transplant process for over a month and still had no lungs. So it didn't come as a shock that her prayer request was that Will would get lungs. But in the moment that she was talking about Will and what he needed, the Holy Spirit was just stirring in me. I could just feel him inside me just burning. Um, and I, uh, I, I can't say I heard him say anything specific. I just had an overwhelming conviction, literally a compulsion that, that I needed to pray for Will. And so when it came time, I, I immediately volunteered and, and I, I obeyed the voice of God. And, and I said, okay, I, I want to pray for Will. And I don't remember everything that I said, uh, but I do remember just pleading with God that, that in the moment of our prayer, that Will would get his lungs and that they would fit perfectly. And 36, 48 hours later, whatever, Will had his lungs, and they fit perfectly. Yeah. Now, was my prayer the reason that Will got his lungs? Personally, I don't think so. I think that God had amazing plans for Will, and nothing was going to stop Will from getting his miracle. But you have to understand that the way God works is that he, he loves, he frankly prefers to work his will through imperfect but obedient people. If you look at the Bible and look at all of the ways that, that God works in human history, most of the time, God works through an imperfect but obedient person. Yes, God is, God is all powerful. He can snap his fingers and do whatever he wants. But to display his glory even more and to invite his children to do his work with them, he uses people.
So what I think that happens in those moments is that, especially in my case, I think that God was moving to heal Will. And as God was moving to heal Will, to give him his miracle, God said, Ike, I want you to be a part of this. And so I think that God spoke to me and used me as the vessel to bring about his will for Will's life. <laughs> I, that, that was uh, an unintended pun. But that, that's how God works. See, what happens is those moments is God is inviting us as his children to come alongside of him in his work so that he can make everything new on the earth. That's what happens. He invites us to come alongside of him in his work so that he can display his glory and so that as his children we can have the blessing of being used by him. See, God still speaks. God speaks through his word. He speaks through prayer and a myriad of other avenues. But at this point, I want to go back to the point that God speaks to all of his children. And yes, that includes you. There's a lot to be said here, so we're just going to kind of scratch the surface a little bit with what the Bible says about God speaking to us. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John 8, 47, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. Isaiah 30, 21, And your ears shall hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Psalm 32.8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. You see, if you're a Christian this morning, God speaks to you. Whether you hear him or not, he speaks to you. But what I want to do right now is I want to show you how God speaking to you is actually supposed to operate within the church. I can't say I've ever really heard this preached on. Maybe I just don't listen to the right people. But I've never heard anybody connect something directly in Scripture that shows specifically how is this supposed to operate within the church. So I, I want to kind of go through that. So I'm going to lay down a little bit of context first, and then we're going to dive into a little bit longer passage. So everyone remember Adam and Eve? Okay, more participation. Does, does everybody remember Adam and Eve? Okay, good. So back in the garden, before the fall, Adam and Eve would walk with God in the garden. In friendship and unity, just being in relationship and communion with their father speaking with God and soaking up his character and his glory. You see, they were near to him. This is how humanity was meant to be. This is how we are all meant to be in relationship with our Father. We're supposed to be near to him. But after the fall, after sin entered the world, their relationship and their communion with God was broken. And as a result, further communion and relationship with God was restricted to very few people. And so if you wanted to get close to God, you actually had to go through an intermediary, through a priest. And even then, there were all of these stipulations and rules and rituals and sacrifices that you had to go through. That you had to go through. So you could not draw near to God like Adam and Eve did, like a child does with their father. And to signify that separation, that inapproachability of God, there was this massive curtain in the temple that separated the holiest of holies, the place where God's presence dwelt, from the rest of the people. And to enter into his presence without going through the right steps meant death. But when Jesus died on the cross, he reconciled us to the Father. That relationship that was once broken was restored 
that curtain that once separated us from his presence was torn into, offering us free and open access into the presence of our Father. So we could once again draw near to him. He was inviting us into his presence, inviting us to have intimacy with him like Adam and Eve did. And so with that in mind, let's turn to Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. We're going to camp out here a little bit, so I'll let you turn there. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you might be a little bit confused about how that uh, applies to God's voice operating within the church. So we're going to break it down a little bit. Verse 19 says, we have confidence. And the Greek there also implies freedom. So we have the freedom and the confidence to enter into the holy places, to enter into God's presence. Something that was previously reserved for only a few people. And now we have confidence that we can enter into his presence. Verse 20 says, By the new and living way, open to us through the curtain. That curtain is the curtain that is referring to the, the temple curtain. That was torn in two when Jesus died on the cross. But the first part of that verse is something that I want you to pay attention to. It says, By the new and living way. This is not the old way of interacting with God. You don't need a priest anymore. This is a new and living way. You see, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, or even if you're not a child of God, God wants a new and living relationship with you. You don't have to go through a priest to have that. God wants a new and living relationship with you. He wants to speak to you and change you and make you more like himself. The relationship that the God of the universe wants with you is living, it is active, it is personal. Verse 21 says, Jesus, our great high priest. Jesus is the new intermediary. He is the permanent priest between us and God. And 22 says, let us draw near. See, God is inviting you to draw near to him. God is inviting you to draw near. Notice it says, draw near there. You see, the temple curtain was torn in two, but the curtain's still there. You have to draw near. You have to walk through it. If you want to be in the presence of God, you have to draw near. And what are we supposed to do with that living relationship with him? What are we supposed to do when we draw near? Verse 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The word stir up there in the Greek means to provoke or stimulate. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. That word encouraging there in the Greek also means to admonish, exhort, and invite. 
it's not just it's not just encouraging like oh you look beautiful today you're fine everything is good it means to admonish and exhort someone there's some urgency in teaching there so i know that was a little bit choppy but let, let's put it all together in one kind of contiguous thought so because jesus died on the cross we have open access into the presence of god and we are invited to draw near to the living God of the universe in a living relationship with him. And so we, we draw near to God, we feed on his word, we, we bask in his presence and we listen to his voice. And then from that place, we are to meet together in fellowship with other believers and then with the people around us. And based on my relationship with him, based on what he's been speaking to me as I've drawn near to him, based on what he is doing in me and what I know he wants to do through me, we're supposed to consider how do I stir up? How do I provoke the people around me to love and good works? How do I encourage and admonish and exhort them and invite them into the same living relationship that I have with the Father? That's what God's voice is for. That's how his voice in your life is supposed to operate within the church. I think that's pretty amazing. See, not only does God want to speak to you, not only does he invite you to draw near into a new and living relationship with him, an intimacy and unity, but Hebrews 10 says that God speaking to you is essential and necessary for the health of the church. God speaking to you is essential and healthy, essential and necessary for the health of the church. See, as a body of Christ, we cannot afford what God is speaking to you to be lost. I'm speaking to every one of you. As a body of Christ, we cannot afford to what God is speaking to you to be lost. You see, the things that God is saying and doing in you and through you aren't just for you. They're for the church. If you call Church 14 your home, if you call your other church your home, we don't just need you. We don't just need your gifts. We need the things that God is speaking to you. We need the things that God is doing in you and wants to do through you. See, God still speaks. We need to train ourselves to hear his voice and obey what he tells us. He's trying to use you to encourage the church and also to work his will on the earth as he makes all things new. He wants to invite you into that work with him. And missing his voice means missing an opportunity to come alongside of him as he makes all things new. Missing his voice means missing an opportunity to build up the church. Missing his voice means missing an opportunity to come alongside of him as he does a miracle. Honestly, I can't make it any more clear than Hebrews 10 puts it. God still speaks, and we have open access to him. We have freedom to enter his presence, and he invites us to draw near. And as we draw near from that relationship that we have with him, we need to consider how to provoke, how to stir up, how to encourage and admonish and exhort the people around us and invite them into that same living relationship that we have with the Father. That's the purpose of God's voice in your life. Get it? I'll give you one more chance. Get it? Good.
we're going to close with, with taking communion today. And as a quick note, for those of you that, that are not a follower of Jesus, if you don't call Christ your Savior, um, as a member of the, the teaching team and the leadership team, I would just ask you not to participate, just to abstain in this moment. And this is not meant to uh, exclude you or to shame you. The Bible just has pretty clear instructions that, that communion is for those who believe in him as their Savior. And it has warnings against taking communion wrongly. And so, not, again, not to shame you, but for your protection. If you don't believe in Jesus as your Savior, that's fine. Uh, we would just ask that you would abstain uh, from communion. But if you have questions, if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, and I pray that you do, come see me. I'll be down here. Come see anybody in the first two rows. Anyone that you trust, if someone brought you, go see them. We would love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And I think it would be awesome if today would be the first communion that you ever get to take. But church, as we take communion this morning, I want us to remember as always what Christ has done for us. Remember that his body and his blood paid for your sins on the cross. That he gives you salvation. But especially this morning, I want you to focus on the fact that his body and his blood allowed you free and open access into his presence. Open access into a relationship with him, a living and active and a new relationship with him where he speaks to you. That was also paid for on the cross. That's also part of the symbol of taking his body and his blood. See, we don't need Moses. We don't need a priest to interact with him anymore. Like Adam and Eve, we can walk with him ourselves. Like Adam and Eve, we can talk with him ourselves. We can have a relationship and commune with him that is unrestricted and unrestrained. And so as you take communion, I want you to feel the gravity of the fact that God does speak to you. If you're a Christian this morning, he speaks to you. And I want you to feel the weight of that fact that the God of the universe wants to speak to you, and he wants to speak to you even more. He wants you to continue to increase your realization of his voice in your life. And he wants to use his voice in your life to encourage the church, to build up the church, and to come alongside of him as he does his work in the world and makes all things new.